Hear these words from the Word. Now concerning the collection for the saints. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. For he is doing the work of the Lord, as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will, or as the footnote reads, God's will, It was not at all His will or God's will to come now. He will come when He has opportunity. This is God's Word. So last week, I suggested that if you were traveling this summer, we're looking at travel plans here in this chapter. And I mentioned that if you were traveling this summer and you could not be Uh, in person at Windsor Road with our church family uh, to think about what a family service might look like. Some of us travel to familiar places when we vacation, and uh, some of us have a familiar sister congregation where we worship together on the Lord's Day. Some of us don't, and I suggested that um, if you cannot be in a gathered community like as we have here, to, with your family, have a family service and to access the daily Bible reading scripture verses that we're going through together from the Gospel Coalition website and to share those verses with your family. I suggested that you have some songs ready and uh, uh, then get some grape juice and crackers and just have church together as a family. And uh, after my message last Sunday, and I mean Right after second service, uh, I received this note and the photo that you're about to see. The note says, Hi Randy, this morning you asked for examples of family worship times when we are away from Windsor Road. Every time we're out of state and with our granddaughters, a routine the next morning is to have worship time with Grandy and Papa. We spend a bit of time in God's Word centering on who God is, and then we sing songs. Their favorite is, our God is an awesome God. Perhaps the attached photo is evidence of our times in worship. Last week after they left, we found this note taped to the headboard of our little granddaughter's bed. And that note says, God, you are the best God ever. 
I love my God, love Emmy. Huge, big, happy smile. Now, Emmy gets it. Emmy gets it. And I just think that that ought to be our big idea this morning. Jesus, you're the best God ever. I love you. That'll preach. <laughs> and uh, again, what's meaningful is that, you know, I received that note, I mean, just right after second service uh, from uh, a beloved family in our congregation that's worshiping with us online. And the connection and service and fellowship we share via this technology allows us to be together when we can't be together in this space. And I mean, you all know we did not have this technology uh, pre-COVID, but we've, uh, we, we did a pivot. And now we're able to be in community even when we're apart. And uh, this technology allows us to introduce Jesus uh, to folks literally, literally worldwide. And we've heard from those folks. And many folks who are new here in person have been worshiping with us virtually in the meantime. I just thank God for that. Now, I don't need to remind us that these audiovisual tools, you know, they don't come without cost. Uh, and the collections that we receive on Sunday morning help make congregational connection possible. Collections enable connections. In today's scripture, Paul uses the word collection. Did you see that in verse 1? Now, concerning the collection, he's talking about the offering. He wants the Corinthians to prepare a collection for connection with impoverished Hebrew Christians in Jerusalem. And we really can't get the full picture of what these verses express to us without also turning to Romans 15, 25 and following, and 2 Corinthians 8, and nine. Those passages of Scripture, along with what we read about the history of the early church in the book of Acts, help us understand that the collection was for a connection with impoverished Hebrew Christians residing in Jerusalem. And as we shall see today in these verses, for Paul, a collection was never merely a financial transaction. For Paul, it's never merely the transferal of monetary funds from one bank account to another bank account. It's always about something else, always. It's always about something deeper, something meaningful. It's, a, it's about a connection, and that's what I want us to see today. That's what I want us to, to inquire about today what makes the collection meaningful what makes it about more than just money so today as we look through first corinthians chapter 16 i want us to see five meaningful connections that gospel generosity uh, displays to help us see the glory of christ five meaningful connections here they are, spiritual, beautiful, merciful, 
fruitful, and practical. We'll see that the first four, spiritual, beautiful, merciful, and fruitful, uh, help us understand the why behind gospel generosity. And then the practical is the how. How to, how to, make, how to implement it. And once you understand the why, you'll get the how. So here's the first connection. Gospel generosity is meaningful because it is spiritual. It is spirit. Again, Paul never sees money just in terms of a financial transaction. How do you see money? How do you see money? See this right here? How do you see this? How do you view it? The world sees money as if it were a heavily fortified city. That if you stack enough of these from the floor on up, you're heavily fortified. That's how the world sees it. Proverbs 18, 11. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. And then it says this, very insightful. They imagine it. An unscalable wall. Key word, imagine. <laughs> imagine. That's how the world sees money. The, the world sees money as recession-proof security. It does. You have enough of this, you're recession-proof. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The world sees money as a means of independence. You know, in our culture, there's kind of a subculture uh, led by an acronym called FIRE. Financial independence, retire early. That's the acronym. Okay? And, and, and the premise is kind of make enough money to retire early and then you can do whatever you want without anybody telling you what to do. Okay, that's the premise, right? How do you see money? How do you see this? Paul does not see money through any of those lenses. In fact, when Paul discusses money to the Corinthians, he's making a spiritual connection. A spiritual connection. Uh, he uses words like grace, fellowship, and loving service. For instance, in 2 Corinthians 8, 4, Paul literally says that the churches uh, of Macedonia begged us earnestly for the grace of the fellowship of loving service to the saints. He's talking about the collection there. He, he uses spiritual terms. In 2 Corinthians 9, 5, he calls the collection a blessing. In 2 Corinthians 9, 12, he calls the collection divine service. Earlier, he uses the word for loving service. Here, he uses it for divine service, 2 Corinthians 9, 12. Think about it, think about it. Our generosity can perform a kind of divine service 
service before God. So, so Paul never saw money in terms of mere currency or coinage. He always saw money in the spiritual realm, in gospel vocabulary. When you have experienced the grace of Christ, it will instinctively change you into a generous, gracious person because that's how Jesus is. Think Zacchaeus. When Jesus changed his heart, you could tell by the way he expressed and how he viewed and how he understood generosity. Giving is our opportunity to act out the grace of Christ. And that's what makes the collection, Paul's word, meaningful. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Gospel generosity is a meaningful connection because it is a spiritual connection. That's the first connection. It's spiritual, and then it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Gospel generosity is meaningful because it's beautiful. So, so it's more than just about passing money. It's about affirming the beauty and splendor of God's multi-ethnic kingdom. Did you happen to notice in chapter 16 how many different geographic regions appear at least five Roman provinces are mentioned. In verse 1, Galatia. In verse 3, Judea. In verse 5, Macedonia. Look at verse 15. That's Achaia. Macedonia is northern Greece. Achaia is southern Greece. And then verse 19 is Asia. That refers to what's modern day Turkey. Each of these areas of the Roman Empire reflected different cultures and conditions and ethnicities, European and Eastern, Jew and Arab, Greek and Roman, urban and rural. And what Paul shows us is that Jesus' church has penetrated into these spaces. That is the power of the gospel at work. So Paul's team of church planters consisted of men and women and married couples and singles and those gifted in commerce and or the trades. And all of these shepherded an international church. It was a worldwide community of believers from every tongue and tribe and nation and language. The first century church was not monoethnic. And there's no doubt that the church's international flavor was assisted by the Roman Empire's network of highways. Oh yes, the Greek language was a leading spoken language to enable communication, much like English is a leading language on our earth today. But the power of the gospel is not in Roman highways. It's in the universal message that God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, on a search and rescue mission for you. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, 
For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This global gospel changes our priorities and relationships because rich or poor, Greek or Jew, you've got to get to God through the cross. That's it. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And it changes our lives and our priorities and our relationships. And in chapter 16 here, we read of Paul's heartfelt burden for the mother church in Jerusalem. A famine had wrecked their economy. And the Hebrew Christians had no access to aid. They just didn't have the kind of um, support systems in our affluent America. And they couldn't even depend upon you know, their own heritage because, see, they were Hebrew Christians or Christian Hebrews. They were, and they were seen as heretics. So they have, they have who's going to help them? Paul says, we will help. You're our family in Christ. Paul wants to help. And, and that's the deeper, beautiful connection here. Because Paul sees an opportunity for the Corinthians to prove that Christians of different ethnicities really are family in Christ. They're, they're just not going to talk about it. They're going to show it. And Paul will use this collection to solidify their unified connection in Christ. See, from Paul's point of view, the Corinthians, along with the Galatians and other Gentile believers, see, see they had received these spiritual blessings from the lineage of the Hebrew people going all the way back to Abraham. God had said to Abraham, through you, all people will be blessed. All nations will be blessed. And so, so from Paul's perspective, those who had received God's spiritual blessings from Abraham can now say thank you in a material, tangible way. That's what Paul says in Romans 15, 27. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, that is the spiritual blessings through Abraham, then the Gentiles ought to also be of service to their Hebrew brothers and sisters in Christ in material blessings. And, and, and so here's another beautiful connection. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 3, you know, Paul says that I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem, which is to say that the Corinthians will serve as couriers of this generous gift to their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. Think about that. Hebrew believers in Jerusalem will meet their Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ for the very first time. And, and, and there was no personal history before them. And there was no other reason to make the trip to Jerusalem than their, their shared relationship in Christ. And this collection will affirm and in fact confirm their kinship in Jesus. 
and it will it will fulfill jesus promise in acts chapter 1 verse 8 when jesus said but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the, of the earth. And so here, Corinth, the ends of the earth, this, this section in the Roman Empire, they are now coming to Jerusalem, as if to say the gospel is penetrating uh, all of these areas and spaces uh, with the love and mercy of Jesus. This, praise God, Acts 1-8 is being fulfilled. It is strategic brothers and sisters, that Luke concludes the gospel of, uh, well, the gospel of Acts. We'll just call it that. It's the gospel of Acts, yes. Uh, Luke concludes the gospel of Acts in Rome, in Rome. Luke's first gospel begins in the temple in Jerusalem and ends in the temple in Jerusalem, and his second volume, the book of Acts, begins in Jerusalem and concludes in Rome. And Paul is saying, look, look at what God is doing. He's showing us a world, a world where, where brothers and sisters from every tongue and tribe and nation and language are coming together and nobody has too much and nobody has too little. God is providing. God be praised. Amen? Derwin Gray played in the NFL for uh, the uh, Indianapolis Colts and uh, Carolina Panthers. And after his days in the NFL, he planted a multi-ethnic church in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, called Transformation Church. And uh, Derwin has recently published an excellent book I'd recommend titled Building a Multi-Ethnic Church. He writes... Paul and Barnabas planted multi-ethnic churches. They didn't plant a church for the Jews and another for Greeks and another for Arabs and another for Syrians. Paul and Barnabas were the first to establish whole communities of believers from mixed Jewish and Gentile backgrounds, that is, to plant multi-ethnic churches. And there was nothing like it in the world. There's an amen. Huh? And so the connection to the collection is that by giving generously to their Hebrew siblings in Christ, the Corinthians, in Paul's words, are proving the earnestness of their love. That's 2 Corinthians 8.8. 8. I'm so grateful to the Lord, brothers and sisters, that, that He is calling us and propelling us to excel in the beauty and splendor of Christ's church at Windsor Road. When we intentionally create space for brothers and sisters from every tongue and tribe and nation and language, when we participate in ministry events with our sister congregations in our community, when we keep all of us in mind for our ministry activities and when we invite various voices with decision-making influence and authority for the congregation's plans this is beautiful this is beautiful gospel generosity is is spiritual gospel generosity is beautiful listen to me hear me the ministry of ethnic peace cannot 
merely be relegated to Washington, D.C. It must be demonstrated and celebrated and activated right here, right now. Through Jesus, the place where we make peace is none other than the foot of the cross. Ephesians 2, 16 says that he might reconcile both Jew and Greek to God in one body through the cross, killing, not disabling, not wounding, but killing the hostility. If you'll help me out, I won't have to work so hard. Amen. So don't call the collection a financial transaction. Paul says that the collection is the exhibition of our reconciliation in Christ. It is the facilitation of ministry from Christ's peacemaking embassy, and we are that embassy. And it's, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's spiritual. It's beautiful. And then thirdly, gospel generosity is meaningful because it's merciful. It's merciful. Hmm. Huh. Leave it to a preacher. Leave it to a preacher to not let you get out of a letter without talking about money. But that's what Paul does. And, and here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, they brought it up. They did. They did. Look at verse 1. It says, now concerning. You see that? Now concerning, or now then. You'll see that phrase about five or six times throughout 1 Corinthians, and that is a clue that Paul is responding to an inquiry of theirs. Remember we said that chapters 1 through 4 concern unity, Chapters 5 through 15 concern uh, issues, and then chapter 16 are instructions. All right? so, so in 5 through 15, there's just these issues, and these issues are flagged by the phrase, now concerning. Paul, we have a question. Paul says, well, okay, now concerning. So they brought it up. They, they had heard about this. This isn't the first time they'd heard about uh, their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. Paul is answering their question about the why and the how and so Paul is trying to say look I, 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 this is an expression of God's mercy not just to them but to you but to you you say what do you mean by that well think about how troubled and broken and divided the Corinthian church was they, they were they were enamored with their own favorite preacher I follow Apollos I follow Paul I follow Peter they they allowed the culture's view of the body and sexuality to contaminate their holy way of life in the Lord and they were proud and they were arrogant and they compared themselves to one another so in, and instead of, of loving one another they were wounding one another's consciences and and so and and paul so paul's attitude is not well i'll still take your money because theirs was an honor shame culture meaning they you know they prized honor and the appearances of glory and 
To be shamed publicly was just... And they, they wanted to give. They wanted to help. They wanted to make a difference. And so Paul responds to them. He says, well, okay, we're going to get to this offering question that you posed. But first, I want to do heart surgery on you. you know, giving is good and noble and sacrificial. But didn't Paul not say in 1 Corinthians 13, if I give all I have, if I put my body to the flames, but I have not love, what do I gain? What? Nothing. Nothing. So Paul wants to situate gospel generosity in the context of a broken community that is being mended by the mercies of God. Even the Corinthians can still be used by God to minister to other Christians. And their generosity will tell the story of God's mercy at work in their own sinful, broken, fallen lives brothers and sisters there are only sinners at windsor road christian church and many of the problems that the corinthians had there are problems too i mean we live in a culture that is confused about identity and it wants to sneeze its confusion all over us we get confused about holiness to the Lord. And we really wonder, is God really going to raise our dead bodies to life? What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? The Corinthians were highly, uh, highly affluent. And yet at the same time, they struggled. You know, they struggle with questions. We struggle with, is it possible that God can still use me with my background? Is it possible that God can still use whatever resources I have to make a difference in the lives of others? Have I gone too far? A am I beyond the reach of God's grace? Am I just going to be relegated to the, you know, the C-section? And what Paul is trying to say is that no matter how divided or broken you are, you have the capacity to be a conduit through which Christ's blessings can flow for the benefit of others because God only uses broken people. Only. Amen? So, so spiritual, beautiful, merciful, and then gospel generosity is meaningful because it's fruitful. So after leaving Corinth, Paul was in Corinth for a year and a half. After he left Corinth, sometime around 51-ish, 52 A.D., he, he went to Ephesus, and there he planted a church. You can read about that narrative in Acts 18 and 19. In Acts chapter 19, we learn that Paul was in Ephesus for three and a half years, and it was a fruitful, culture-changing ministry. And here... In 1 Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9, we learn that 1 Corinthians was authored from Ephesus. Paul says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. So that's the springtime, right? 
for a for a why why is he going to stay in Ephesus? For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So the wide door was also accompanied with many adversaries. Isn't that how it is in ministry? Times of flourishing and times of peril go hand in hand. To be in the will of God, to be in the will of God, is not always a walk in the garden. Sometimes it's Normandy Beach. It's war. But listen to me. You're, you're never safer than when you are in the hand of a sovereign God, no matter where you are. And Paul's not alone either. Do you see all these names here in chapter 16? There's Timothy, there's Apollos, there's Stephanus, there's Achaicus, there's Fortunatus, there's Priscilla and Aquila. In verse 6, where Paul says, help me on my journey, and then in verse 11, help Timothy on his way, Paul wants the Corinthian church to help defray their ministry expenses because they're going, they're going to these strategic cities for productive and perilous purposes. So Paul's not a lone ranger. He functions as a part of a team. And, and these servants need senders. And that's what makes their gospel generosity important. That's what makes financial generosity meaningful. Not all of us can go to Montana. We had a wonderful team that went to Montana. And I heard wonderful stories. Not all of us can go to Ethiopia or the Dominican Republic or Haiti or Peru. But we can support those we send. We can help. We can assist. And we can serve locally as well. And I've personally witnessed this. I've witnessed your generosity to a local church here in our community. I've witnessed your generosity to our missionaries, both stateside and abroad. I've witnessed your participation in ministry projects, from, from food distribution to serving on Saturdays at places such as Salt and Light to, to our Wednesday night prayer gatherings with other brothers and sisters in Christ from our community. And... Uh, it's fruitful, it's spiritual, it's uh, beautiful, it's merciful, it's fruitful. That's the why. That's the why. And Paul concludes with now the how, because it's, it's now practical. And that's what's behind verses 1 through 4. It's pretty matter-of-fact. You know, I want you to prepare this on a weekly basis so that the offerings are ready to be sent. That's verses 1 through 4. On the first day of every week, that's Sunday, that's the Lord's Day, that's the day of resurrection. That is to say, you are giving to that which is a winning cause. You, have, you are giving to someone who has won for you. On, on that day, the saints are to, to gather for worship. Each of you, each of you, each of you, is to put aside and store it up, each of us, not the, not the wealthiest of us, not the richest of us, but every one of us, every one of us in the local church is called upon 
To be generous to God in supplying for His work is to be personal, is to be systematic, it's to be proportional. That's the phrase, that He may prosper, or rather, as He may prosper. However we've prospered, God wants us to systematically set aside in a disciplined way money for the Lord's work. And, and once more, once more, when they receive the offering, Paul wants a contingency from Corinth to take the gift to Jerusalem. So don't just throw that money over the fence. Take it and go meet your new siblings in Christ. The siblings you've not seen before. And go pray together in Jesus' name. You've been praying separately in Jesus' name. But now you're going you're gonna to pray together. And I want you to see the faces of those who will receive this gift. And worship together. Spend time together. And you know, receive hospitality. Listen to me. So the affluent Corinthians will receive hospitality from the impoverished Hebrew Christians. Don't deny the impoverished Hebrew Christians the privilege of extending hospitality. And, and the Corinthians are going to eat food that they wouldn't normally eat. And they're going to observe customs they wouldn't normally observe. And for all that's different, for all that's different, they're going to enjoy the same word, and for the same Holy Spirit, they're going to drink from the same cup, the same loaf, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. And, then the, and the one Christ who loved them and gave himself for them. Oh, don't you call this about a transactional thing. It's not that at all. Ministry money is never about financial transactions. It's about something that's spiritual. It's an expression of community and fellowship. It's a display of service to God and people. It's also beautiful, too. Giving accomplishes great things when done in love. And it affirms God's... All, it, it, affirms, it affirms what will take place in the new heavens and the new earth. God's multi-ethnic, multi-cultural uh, people. It's merciful. You're, you're never out of God's reach. He can use you as his agent to accomplish his will. And it's fruitful. It's fruitful. Places of productivity and peril go together. And then it's just practical. All of us can excel in the grace of giving. Every one of the Corinthians were encouraged. Excellent planning leads to excellence in giving. You know, you know what? There's never been a better time for us to talk about giving here at Windsor Road because God through you has been incredibly generous. Incredibly generous. And so this is the perfect time. And as Paul said to the Thessalonians, I just want to encourage you to continue more and more i want to encourage you and and for those of you who are maybe new to christianity and you're growing in your discipleship test god in this malachi the old testament book it's the only command where we're allowed to test god in terms of our finances 
see if God, see if God won't bless you when you put him first, when you put him first. Next payday, next payday, take a portion of your income and dedicate it to the Lord's work. You, you, you give God the first. You give God the first. That way, you, that way you won't be tipping God at the end of your paycheck. You give him first. And you put him first. And, and, and if you need a specific number, consider 10%. That was the base, the floor number that we see in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it simply becomes, as God has prospered you. And I would agree with Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, that God does not anticipate less from New Testament grace than Old Testament law. Oh, test God in this church and see what he'll do. Determine in your heart and then give generously and cheerfully. And I know this much. I know this much. Sarah and I do. You cannot, out, you cannot outgive God. You can't. We have a shovel, and he has a shovel. And we shovel it out, and he shovels it in, and his shovel's bigger than my shovel. We've experienced that. And as we regather and as we meet needs with love, oh, all of this, all of this is done so that we will passionately pursue Christ. And that's why God wants us to, to participate in gospel generosity if you forget everything else don't forget this it's emmy's word to us jesus you're the best god ever i love you amen